What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can hit me up over on Twitter with any questions at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB, E-T-H-O-S, FantasyBB. We post all of our new podcasts, articles, news and notes. Every update we got on the baseball side does get shared out through Twitter at EthosFantasyBB, so make sure you guys are following if you're not already. If you're not somebody who uses Twitter, you can still get access to our content through sportsethos.com, our mothership website. You guys can go hover over the MLB tab, over the premium tab, and you will find our same MLB content that we got going on on Twitter, minus the tweet updates throughout the day, which is why I do give you guys the handles at the beginning of the show, because myself and many of our writers are very active on Twitter throughout the day. I try and share that stuff out as much as possible through my account and through the Ethos account so you guys are staying as informed and up-to-date as possible because you do miss some stuff if you're not on Twitter, for sure. Twitter is where you go for the instant info, and my guys have done a really great job of bringing you that since the baseball season started. Really proud of what we're building over there at Ethos Fantasy BB. The guys have done a really great job. We're going to talk some news and notes, and then we are going to look over two start pitchers for the week. Pretty small slate today. Most of these guys are going to be going tomorrow. Uh, today we have, what is it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We've got like 10 games today. Uh, not a short slate, but shorter than usual, and there's a lot of two-start guys who are going to be starting tomorrow as well. So we're going to go through those. We're going to go through these news and notes, though, here off the top, and we have a pretty shitty one here to start the week off on. Mason Miller is dealing with elbow tightness. He's headed back to the Bay Area to be evaluated after feeling tightness in his elbow following Sunday's game against the Royals. Oh, man. I have been as high on Mason Miller as you can possibly be. Uh, You know, I was initially a little bit hesitant, like a lot of people in my comment sections have pointed out. He pitches for a terrible team. Probably won't throw too many innings. And, yes, those are valid points. And before this injury, my my thought was he's a must-roster player in every single format, all over the place. I don't care if it's an eight-team league. I don't care if it's 12. I don't care if it's points, roto, whatever kind of hybrid scoring you got. I think Mason Miller is somebody who should be on rosters for that upside alone. The talent is there on a per-inning, per-pitch basis that you don't really need to have him volume his way to 170 innings to have fantasy relevance, especially in a year where pitchers are getting blown up left, right, and center and hurt all over the place. Now, right before I started recording, we get this update that he is going to be being evaluated uh, to see what's going on with this elbow. Now, according to Mark Codse, the athletics manager, the suspicion is that Miller is dealing with a flexor muscle issue and that we're hoping for the best. He's probably going to the IL. Now, at this point, uh, the tune has to change a little bit. I'm not hammering the add button on him probably as much as I would have earlier today. I still think that it's reasonable to add him and just kind of, you know, hope for the best because the talent is so sky high You know, we're talking about somebody who had small sample size through these first four games, but he's got 22 strikeouts and 21 innings, which is low for him. He'll have more strikeouts than that going forward, assuming he's healthy, of course. A 338 ERA, a sub-1 whip, which is almost impossible to come by on the waiver wire. Big ballpark he pitches in as well. There was a lot of positives, but now we've got this big negative cloud hanging over us. So I think at this point, you have to hold and just kind of wait and see what the news update is. Maybe he does go on the I.L., Maybe this is something, well, I think it's pretty likely he's going on the IL for at least a minimum stint. We kind of have to just hope that it's a minimum stint. I can't even believe 
that this is the topic of conversation. This is right before I started recording. Uh, I got the underdog update notification. Fell to my knees uh, when I saw it nearly because it's just such shit news. I've been so big on him. I've been tweeting about him all over the weekend. And I thought that his roster percentage at 40 uh, was just absurd in Yahoo leagues. Now at this point, probably should remain about where it is. I wouldn't be you know tripping over yourself to go and add him. I, I still think you can. I still think it doesn't hurt. But we might be looking at not as rosy of a situation as we would have been even earlier today. It's tricky. I'm holding. I'm holding for now. Uh, but at this point, it's definitely going to be difficult, depending on your league. If you're, and it depends on the news too, right? Like this is so, still such brand new information. We haven't really gotten enough of it to properly evaluate what to do with him at this point. You just kind of have to hold, though. Like his roster percentage has gone down one percent on Yahoo since you know the last hour. It went from forty-one down to forty. People are dropping him. But I think at this point, there's just not enough information to fully make that decision. I am a huge fan of his. Where I have him, I'm still going to be holding him. Even in my 10-team home league, I'm going to be holding him just to see what the update is. If you want to drop him and go for somebody else, I would understand it. But I think the best course of action with somebody this talented, specifically if you bid you know, a decent amount of your fab on him, is to just hold him for now. Uh, I wouldn't be panic dropping until we get more info from the A's. But definitely... About as shitty of a way you can start off the week as possible uh, with a guy like Mason Miller potentially going on the shelf. We're going to have to just keep close tabs on this one. But again, just don't be itchy on the drop trigger finger there. I would just do what you can to try and hold on, and probably you'll get an IL designation in the next couple of days, which might make it easier depending on your format to hold on to him. But at this point... It's shit. It is shit. There's no other way to describe it at this point. I'm a huge Mason Miller fan. I think he's going to be a stud pitcher in this league, but we'll just have to see uh, what the next couple days tell us. Now, this one is a little bit weird. Wilson Contreras in the entire Cardinals situation. I do want to touch on this. This is really stupid. Uh, The way that they've gone about this is ridiculous. So if you guys have not been, you know, keeping track of what's gone on over the weekend, Wilson Contreras is going to play almost, and the news has changed. I can't can't blame you if you have no idea what the hell is going on because the news updates have been different every single day with Wilson Contreras. So the first news we got was a couple days ago saying, and this was on the 5th, on the 4th, uh, it was two days ago. So they said he will spend most of his time in the outfield, Wilson Contreras in the outfield, or he will be DHing. This is ridiculous from a number of standpoints. Wilson Contreras... At first, I'd honestly forgotten that he had any experience catching, or excuse me, uh, in the outfield. He did play the outfield a little bit when he was with the Cubs, here and there. He has appeared in the outfield 39 times in his career, 24 of them coming as a rookie, six times in his sophomore year, then five times, then three times. He appeared out there once in 2021. He's a catcher. They signed him long-term to be their catcher. They gave him a pretty penny you know, they didn't just, that's just some random you know, guy they signed up and it's not really working out. They gave him $87 million over five years to be their everyday catcher. Huge victory morale-wise, you would have thought, snatching him from a division rival. You know, it's like a, when a Yankee goes to Boston or a Boston goes, or a Red Sox goes to play for the Yankees, you know, a Johnny Damon type switch or whatever. The team that's winning in that rivalry, the team that's acquiring that player from their rival, usually that's a huge morale booster. This has been nothing but a morale drainer, it seems like. Wilson Contreras has been shit on by the manager the other day, Ollie Marmol, saying there's disconnect and the pitches haven't been what they've wanted. And all this slander of Wilson Contreras, their new long-term guy, The 
the initial report, like I said there, was that he was won't, won't be catching much, and then it was going to be that he's going to DH, could play the outfield a little bit, and now I don't think that they're going to play him in the outfield anymore because they've said now, yesterday, that he will not be in their outfield plans. It's a mess. It's an absolute shit show mess going on here. Now, he's playing, uh, he's DHing tonight. So we'll have to just kind of monitor what happens with Wilson Contreras. I suppose if he gets ca- uh, outfield eligibility, then that's kind of nice. If his production doesn't suffer, I guess. Like to this point, he's been pretty good. 265 average. He's got two homers, two steals. He's got 30 runs and RBIs together. It's solid numbers through the first month of the season. But I just don't know what this means from a fantasy standpoint for the entire team. And there's somebody specifically that comes to mind there. It's Jordan Walker. Now, if they're not going to use him in the outfield, they're not going to use him in the outfield. Okay. Now that they've put it in the air, though, I think there's going to be some kind of thought that, well, we don't know if we can really trust this organization or not with what they're telling us. Jordan Walker getting sent down was already a surprise. Now we got Wilson Contreras not catching anymore. It's a mess. Their outfield situation and their bench situation in general is brutal. They got Newt Bar in right most of the time. Brendan Donovan has been slotted into the outfield recently. Uh, Dylan Carlson's been playing the outfield. You got Juan Yepes, who I think he's, he bounces around. He can play the infield and the outfield. You got Alec Burleson, who is doing well. And you got Jordan Walker, who's you know in the minor leagues right now with no role at this point, and he hasn't done particularly well since he's been sent down either, but this is just making a more of a roadblock for Jordan Walker to return to the big leagues. Regardless of if they even end up putting um, if they end up putting Contreras out there, it's already complicated, but this does make it a little bit more complicated. And I saw a tweet earlier today uh, from Joe Doyle. Uh, he works with uh, FSS Plus on Twitter, uh, he's he's a well-known prospect guy on Twitter, and he put out an interesting tweet earlier today saying, the Cardinals must promote Jordan Walker by next Tuesday if they hope to be eligible for the prospect promotion incentive additional first-round draft pick should he end up winning the Rookie of the Year. It was one of those incentives they added in the CBA. You need to spend 172 days on the Major League roster for that to happen. So he'd have to be up a week from now. That's as long as, as they can wait uh, if they do want to have that incentive for Rookie of the Year. Um, now is that their primary concern? I don't really know necessarily if that's going to be their, their big concern here, but the way that the season has started off, I mean, they're a team that never has a losing record, but if they keep going down this path, you got to figure, okay, they'll give Jordan Walker, the reps go for this process, go for this first round pick. He's you know a decent bet to win rookie of the year. If he's up the whole season, I think Corbin Carroll probably has that not sealed, but I think it will be Corbin Carroll, but Walker could give him. Uh, you know, a good run for his money if he's up there. It's just a matter of how complicated is this going to be now. I didn't even mention Nolan Gorman. That complicates things with Nolan Gorman because they want to use him more as a platoon bat. He's not going to be able to be DHing as much, so it just kills his fantasy value. It's a total mess. This entire this entire organization that I've grown up respecting quite a bit. You know, the team that I played for, the minor league team I, I played for for many years, adopted the moniker Cardinals. We were the Cardinals. We were the Royal York Cardinals. That was a team I played for forever, and they've always been like a second team for me to cheer for. I was a huge Pujols fan growing up. This is not the team that uh, I grew up watching. This is The front office is an absolute mess. I have no idea how to evaluate this team from a fantasy point of view because they're just so much in flux day in and day out. Brandon Donovan, you know, I started off the year very hot on Brandon Donovan. He cooled off. The playing time seemed to go away, but now the playing time seems to be coming back. Maybe it's going to be gone again tomorrow, and they'll call up Walker. Maybe they'll put Burleson back out there. 
Maybe they put Contreras back behind the plate sooner rather than later. And then Nizer, I think that's how you pronounce his name, Nizer, Knizer, I'm honestly not sure. The guy they had currently catching is probably not going to be there long term. I know he's better defensively, but there's just so many moving parts that it makes it very hard to evaluate this team from a fantasy point of view. I think that you kind of have to just stand pat for now. Don't be making any drastic moves or drop. Oh, I got to drop Walker now because there's no room, or I have to drop Gorman because there's no DH at bats for him. Like, I wouldn't be making drastic decisions like that just yet. I think with this team, the best course of action is to just wait. Uh, you know, there's there's nothing really we can do today. I don't think from a fantasy point of view, whether it's adding or subtracting these players, it's going to make your team necessarily better. There's still so much that could happen. And I didn't even mention Tyler O'Neill is hurt. He'll be coming back soon. They have like eight viable outfielders. So they're going to have to figure their shit out. Whether they do it in the next week or so or not, I really don't know. But I don't think we can make drastic moves, additions, subtractions to our teams based on what the Cardinals have been doing because their decisions have been changing so much day in and day out. The Wilson Contreras timeline over the last couple days is ridiculous and absurd, and it's not the way that you should be treating somebody that you just signed to a long-term contract. Many times this year now, or a couple, few times this year, we've seen them uh, mistreating players through the media. You know, Marmol needs to go. I, I think that that is the first step here. Ali Marmol is a shitty manager. He should not be at the helm of one of the more respected franchises, any franchise in Major League Baseball. He needs to go, and then that'll probably allow things to sort themselves out. Sometimes a clubhouse cancer like that, and I don't use that term lightly. If you guys listen regularly, I don't use the term clubhouse cancer a lot, but he is. It, it very much appears, and you guys can let me know if you're more tuned into the Cardinals than I am. If there's more behind the scenes, if Marmol's being you know, misplayed in the media, misjudged or whatever, it appears that he is a dick, and he likes to call his players out whenever he gets the chance. Not exactly an environment that should be fostered. Uh, not not something that they should allow to go on. So I, I would expect there to be a managerial change sooner rather than later. This is an incredibly disappointing start for a team like the Cardinals. We're talking about a team that is 11-24. and 24. Are they the worst team in Major League Baseball? Are they the worst team in the National League? The only teams that are worse than them in Major League Baseball are the Royals and the A's. That's tough. Uh, they're three games up on the A's at this point. The A's are actively trying to lose ball games. The Cardinals went into the year hoping for World Series aspirations. So I think there'll be a change, uh, you know, in the in the bench somewhere. Whether it, I think it should be Marble. Maybe they just clean house and go all new staff. I'm really not sure what they're going to do. But that's kind of goes back to the original point. No one is really sure what they're going to do. So making any kind of drastic moves to your fantasy teams right now. Is probably not the wisest thing to do in St. Louis. We need to just kind of let this situation unfold and see uh, where the cards fall. Because at this point, your guess is honestly as good as mine, the way that they've just been bullshitting everybody. It's been very frustrating as a fan, as a fantasy analyst, to try and give advice regarding this team because there's just no there's no order. There is just total chaos in St. Louis. So we'll have to just kind of see uh, what goes on here. Let's talk Carlos Rodon. Uh, we got some bad news, more bad news, a lot of bad news this weekend. Uh, so he is now considered to have a chronic back issue. Oh, man, it's just brutal. Uh, Carlos Rodon cannot catch a break. The arm is healthy, from what I understand. The forearm is healthy, but it's just now the back that is going to be a question now. And if it's chronic, then that probably means it'll always be a problem. The report from Friday was that he was going to get a cortisone injection. Uh, it will help. They believe it will help him get back on the mound. He has yet to make his Yankees debut. I I don't know when that's going to be. Now there was some funny bit of news. I or you know there was something. John Boy 
out a podcast that he heard something about, you know, Rodon's not going to be back soon or whatever. And Rodon's wife literally commented on the post and said, you know, this is nonsense. It's not true. Side note, John Boy has kind of, you know, fallen, I think, in the media landscape from when they first came out. There used to be a really cool team of people that, you know, especially especially Jimmy himself, you know, doing the lip reading stuff. It was really cool. I thought it added a cool element. It brought casuals into the game. At this point, they're just, you know, Yankees fans who talk about the rest of the league in a rather uninformed way. And it appears they're not even informed on their own team at this point when you have Rodon's wife actually going out there and saying, yeah, this is not really accurate. You're going to have to trust her word over John Boy's. At this point, though, I'm not really that, you know, hopeful that he's going to be back all that soon. Backs are incredibly tricky. We've talked about this a lot on the show. I've had back problems. I have a, an aching back. You know, I did some construction. I've, you know, I used to throw around skids when I worked in a hardware store. I, I was very foolish with my back, and now it's always kind of a thing that pops up here and there. If I turn the wrong way, it might put me out for a couple days. Backs are tricky. You know, we've talked about this with Mike Trout as well, about how they could just pop up at any moment, especially when it's a chronic issue. This does not give me that warm, fuzzy feeling with Carlos Rodon. I don't know when he's going to be back. Now, at this point, I think he's still a hold, but it's it's really difficult. Uh, it's really difficult to know what to do with Carlos Rodon at this point. I think you're still holding him. I, I think you're still holding him wherever, even if you don't have an IL spot. But it's it's just so shitty to have drafted him so high up and not really know what to do with him at this point like I I honestly don't truly have an answer on Rodon because we don't know and I'm sorry that that's kind of just what's going on today we just don't have a lot of information with Rodon whether it's gonna whether he's gonna be back in a week if it's gonna it's not gonna be a week whether it's gonna be two weeks a month six weeks like I really don't know I I think honestly I tweeted this out the other day and I was just debating like if I'm still there on this line of thinking and I think I am I think the best course of action is to probably try and trade him for whatever you can. Uh, I don't know that it'll it won't be full value. It, it certainly won't be full value. But if you're able to get back any kind of anything really at this point, and not just you know a bullshit waiver wire replacement level player, at that point you might as well hold on to him. But if you're able to trade him for like a top seventy starting pitcher, a, st- a top sixty starting pitcher at this point, if anybody's still willing to do that. I would, you know, in your leagues without an IL spot, NFBC kind of leagues, borderline drop. It, it's it's really tricky. And, you know, Vlad Sadler, who was here last week on the show, uh, he was a guest with Ryan Bloomfield for our 300th episode. He was talking on Twitter about how, you know, you might drop him now. And you know, it's it, it could really hurt you dropping him now, whereas if you hold on for a few weeks and then you drop him, then it doesn't really matter. You're missing out on a, maybe a couple weeks worth of streaming level players. I understand both sides of it. I, I think I'm still probably leaning towards the side of he's not going to be worth it in leagues without IL spots. The depth of the league does matter too. If you're talking about a 10-team league with no IL spots, I wouldn't be holding him. 12, it's close. 15, you're probably still holding him. NFBC leagues, you, you probably are. It's just so tricky to really know what to do with him because the information is not giving us a clear timetable. We don't know if it's going to be you know, sooner or later. It's probably not going to be sooner, which is why I'm leaning towards the side of you can use that spot for you know, better things at this point. 
if we end up dropping him and he comes back and he does amazingly, then it's going to suck. And that's definitely a chance. But at this point, when you're looking at the back, when you're looking at the arm issues that he's always had, going into a new ballpark, new team, there's those kind of concerns as well, which weren't huge concerns, but now they are bigger concerns for me. Just because it's just another, you know, another thing on the camel's back to worry about. It's just, there's just, I honestly, and I'm sorry, because I don't know the right even advice to give here with Carlos Rodon. It's the same thing with the Cardinals. It's just a very tricky day for fantasy news. This came out over the weekend, but even stewing with it for a couple days, like I had him ranked as a top five starting pitcher coming into the season. I had him as my number four starting pitcher before we knew he was going to miss time. And at this point, I, I just don't know that he's going to give you anything that's really going to be worth holding on to for so long. Like, hopefully it's before the all-star break he comes back. I think in trading leagues, you try and sell him for whatever you can. If you don't have an IL and it's a shallow enough league, 10-team 10, 10 league, 18-team league, whatever, I don't think you're holding him without IL spots at this point. I really don't. It's tricky, and I'm open to any questions and dialogue you guys want to have on it, but it's just... this. There's not a lot of hope that I have based on the news we've had over the last week or so uh, about Rodon. It's really shitty. Obviously, the arm being good is uh, is good news, but if, if he's not healthy, fully healthy, then it doesn't really matter. It's better that it's not his arm that's still plaguing him, but it's not something that you know, gives me that much hope for him still. So apologies for kind of rambling here. I'm still trying to work through how I feel about Carlos Rodon because I am still kind of on the fence about holding or dropping, but I do think that the prudent move probably is to drop him in your shallow formats. Deep enough formats, yes, you're probably not going to find that great replacement-level value on the wire anyway, but I still think that there's probably better use of a spot in your lineup for the first four months than Rodon, hoping that he can come back for the final two months and give you 10 good starts, maybe I don't know that he's going to be worth that roster spot. It's it's honestly not a decision I can make for you. Obviously, you guys have to be the ones to decide it for yourself, but it's getting a lot harder by the day to want to hold on to Carlos Rodon. It's it's definitely tricky. Let's talk Eloy Jimenez, though. Oh, man. You want to talk about somebody who just can't catch a break. So Eloy Jimenez had to go an emergency. Actually, it wasn't an emergency. I don't know if it was an emergency, but he had his appendix out. He had an appendectomy, and he was uh, had it removed Saturday evening. Now, the timetable they've given us is four to six weeks, which is kind of strange because from what I have heard from different people talking and from my own research, appendicitis and appendectomy probably will keep you out normally you know, two to maybe four weeks on the long end. Four to six weeks is kind of a long time for Jimenez. Now, he's somebody where you're still holding because you don't really have a choice. It's not going to be a long-term uh, absence probably, but I am at the point now where, like, next year, Eloy Jimenez, he was already off my board this year, but next year there's just no chance. I don't care where the price is. I don't care if it's post-pick 200. I don't want anything to do with him. Uh, there's just no – he can't stay healthy. He just And this is not even his fault. It's just, you know, a symptom of what's generally been plaguing him forever, which is that there's just always something. There's always something, even if it's not something you can nail down to, oh, yes, it's, you know – his arm is always buggered up or there's always something in his lap or whatever. It's not something specific. There's just too many different problems with Eloy for him to be someone you can rely upon going into draft season. He's not somebody I'd be interested in at all for next year. At this point, the sunk cost of having drafted him and knowing that he is probably still capable of driving out 20, 25 homers will keep him on rosters. But, man, you know, 
there's not a lot of long-term faith you can have in a guy who just can't stay healthy at this point. It's it's shitty because the uh, the the upside there, and I know it's an often used refrain, is that he could be if he's healthy, like Jordan Alvarez type of bat. But at this point, I just don't really see it happening. You know, we saw those 31 homers in 2019 during the Happy Fun Ball year. Since then. He hasn't been healthy, and even when he's been healthy, he hasn't been terribly, terribly impressive. Last year, he was pretty good, uh, but not enough, I think, that he warrants all this nonsense that goes around drafting him and having to put him on the bench in the IL and moving him constantly in and out. Uh, you're still holding him this year. Like I don't think you can drop him outside of your really, really shallow. F- like If you're in an eight-team, three-outfielder league, I don't really have a problem with dropping him. There's probably plenty of replacement level value in those kind of leagues, so I don't really mind. But I, I think you're probably still holding at this point in most formats, ten and beyond. I'm probably still holding on to him. Not that I think that there's that much upside, really. I just think that if you look at over the course of the whole season, in in most leagues, he's probably still going to cut it now. That, of course, assumes health, and we can't really assume health with Eloy, which makes it understandable if you do want to cut him. But I think that the right thing to do is probably just to hold on at this point until we see a few weeks from now what the update is. Maybe he comes back a little bit earlier because generally people do come back from appendicitis earlier than this. I'm interested to see if he is able to beat the timeline or if he takes you know an extra two weeks on top of it. It's very concerning, but at this point, I don't think you can really do much other than just hold. I don't think the power is going to be what it was necessarily in that 2019 season, but the thought of like 20, 25 homers in the middle of that lineup is still enticing enough that I would hold through this injury just to see uh, what comes out on the other side of it. This one's kind of interesting as well. Travis Darno is going to be back, and I think, yeah, he was activated today uh, off the injured list. The interesting thing here for me is that before Travis Darno went out, uh, he was concussed before he went before he was injured. He was getting the bulk of the playing time there behind the plate for Atlanta. Sean Murphy was an early candidate for drops in a lot of leagues. He's now leading Major League Baseball in Fangraphs WAR. I think it's two point one. I saw something this morning. So this does quite make me wonder. You know, Atlanta seemed off the bat to want to go with Darno at least fairly regularly. Is that still going to be the case, or has Murphy just done enough to the point where Darno is now going to be a two times a week kind of backup catcher kind of player? I really don't know. Like Darno, to start the season off pretty damn well. He was 11 for his first 33. He had three runs scored. He had five ribbies. He was producing, so I would expect him to still get fairly regular at-bats in that lineup. I don't know if a month's worth of production from Sean Murphy is going to change their entire outlook. I'm, I'm interested, for sure. Like, in two-catcher leagues, they should both be rostered. In one-catcher leagues, I don't know that Darno is necessarily going to cut it, but if he goes back to the role that he had early in the season, definitely interested to see if Darno can maintain one-catcher one viability. It's interesting to think about what what would have happened if Darno had never got concussed. Would Murphy have had this opportunity? Was this their plan all along to kind of slow play him into the lineup? That's something that we're going to honestly just need more time to see because if they go back to the way that the early season trends were going, Sean Murphy may not be as sexy of an asset as we thought, specifically for one-catcher leagues. Two-catcher leagues are both going to be viable all season, likely just because of the lack of options on the waiver wires. If you're talking 15-team two-catcher leagues, you're grasping at straws most of the time. 
But in one catcher formats, I think it'll be decided over the next week or two, uh, probably even sooner than that, who will be the viable option going forward. If Darno starts playing pretty much every day again, then I think he's viable in, in one catcher leagues, and I think they probably both would be, depending on the league size. Again, always always open for questions. If you guys want to ask about 10s, 12s, 15s, 18, 20 team leagues, whatever it is, happy to have a conversation. Uh, but it will depend on the league size, the viability here. But really interested to see if Darno does get the bulk of the playing time back like he had at the beginning of the season. Really not sure. Unanswerable question at this point, which unfortunately has just kind of been a theme today. Apologies there. Uh, but there's just been uh, a lot of uncertainty with the new, you know, Mason Miller. We don't really know what's going to happen with Mason Miller. Wilson Contreras and the whole Cardinals. We have no idea. Carlos Rodon, again, no idea really. And Eloy Jimenez is the great enigma in terms of why he can never stay healthy. So apologies for maybe posing more questions than I answered in the first half there today. There's just a lot of unknowns at this point in the fantasy baseball season. I'd love it if I knew the answers to these questions. Will Rodon be back? Will he be you know proper? Will Contreras be behind the plate again? Will Jordan Walker be in the big leagues? Is Mason Miller going to have to go under the knife? Oh, Jesus Christ. I can't even believe I just said that. But, you know, there's just a lot of unknowns at this point. So apologies for not having all the answers. But I feel like it's very hard to ever have all the answers. So I'll kind of digress at that point. But let's move on to the second part here where we're going to go through the two-start pitchers. We're not going to go through every single one, but we'll give a general overview of all the ones that will have viability in most leagues. So top of the list, Shane McClanahan. He starts today at Baltimore, and then later in the week he'll get the Yankees. He's an obvious start. Now, this one, it doesn't usually get tricky this soon into, you know, talking about two-star pitchers, but Aaron Nola. I did have a couple of questions today about should I start Aaron Nola for this two-star week? Most of the time, that's an easy yes. It should always be an easy yes, really, but I understand the, the conundrum here because he's facing Toronto at home and then he's going into Colorado. Really tough matchups. Uh, I think you're still starting him because, you know, it's Aaron Nola. You're generally still going to start your studs. But this start to the season for him hasn't been striking batters out. He's had four bad outings out of his first seven. So it's understandable that you wouldn't want to start him. But I think Aaron Nola is still somebody that I wouldn't have the heart to leave on my bench in a weekly league. You know, if you want to sit him in a daily league in Colorado or for either of these matches individually, depending on who else you got going for daily changes, I could, I could maybe understand it, but I still think that Aaron Nola will get right, and he's somebody that you should be throwing out there for sure. Zach Gallen, he gets Miami and San Francisco. This is a very clear, obvious yes. Uh, the next one, difficult to some degree. Uh, Max Scherzer at Cincinnati and then at Washington. Now, Scherzer has not looked right so far this season. The spin rates, the VLOs were down. I tweeted out over the weekend his stats, uh, uh, the career lows that he has in a number of different stats, and there's a lot of them. He's looked bad, but you got to still start Max Scherzer in a two-start week. Even though it's at Cincinnati for the first one, you get at Washington for the second one. Not as scary as it might be when you just, you know, you first see the Cincinnati start. It's scary because you think, well, maybe Scherzer is not Scherzer of old anymore. Maybe this is going to be an awful two-step where he allows 12 earned runs or something terrible. I don't think we're going to be there. They still, you know... As good of a ballpark as Great American is to hit in, they still have fairly piss-poor hitters actually hitting in that ballpark. So I think when you look at the two-step there at Cincy and Washington, Scherzer is still going to be a start for me. Did see some talk about it on Twitter, but he's a start. 
Uh, Logan Webb, Washington, and at Arizona. Yes, he is definitely going to be a start. Nestor Cortez has a pretty tasty matchup today against Oakland, and then later in the week he gets Tampa Bay. Definitely, yes, he's going out there for the two-step. Logan Gilbert, also, yes, uh, Texas and Detroit, no question there. Dylan Cease at Kansas City and Houston. Same for Lucas Giolito, who will get tomorrow's version of that. Uh, He'll get Kansas City and Houston as well. Lucas Giolito has really turned it around uh, over these last few starts. He's looked really, really good against Minnesota and against Tampa Bay. Definitely interesting uh, to me over his last 13.2 innings, which is the two starts, 13 Ks, sub-2 ERA, sub-1 whip. Very small sample size, but does appear to be turning it around to some degree for the year. A 367 ERA uh, after having that bad blow up against Pittsburgh that kind of did balloon it. He's actually been very good. So, yes, no question about Giolito or Dylan Cease for me. Andrew Heaney at Seattle and at Oakland. Yes, uh, Andrew Heaney is going to be a start for me there where you still have him. Andrew Heaney is, I don't think, the greatest of pitchers, you know, but he's going to give you good strikeout numbers. He does have a good matchup in there against Oakland. Seattle's a bit tougher, uh, but I would still be throwing out Andrew Heaney. Marcus Stroman gets St. Louis and Minnesota. Yes, Marcus Stroman is going to be a start here, specifically considering St. Louis and how they've done to this point of the season. They've been a bit of a disaster. And Marcus Stroman, I mean, more than a bit of a disaster. St. Louis has been... Uh, an unmitigated disaster. Now, offensively, they're still doing fairly well. They're not like a juggernaut. They're kind of middle of the pack, 12th in runs. They're 10th in average. Uh, they're 9th in home runs. You know, they've been okay, 14th in slugging, 14th in OPS. Nothing to really write home about. Marcus Stroman has been very good. Marcus Stroman, to this point of the season, uh, you know, I wouldn't have even really believed it if I was looking at it, but a 2.18 ERA uh, through his first 41 and a third innings pitched, 1.09 whip as well. I think Marcus Stroman is in the sell-high department right now. I don't think he's going to maintain anywhere close to this production. If you can trade him for somebody who is similarly performing to this point or somebody that you think can end up as like a top 100 player, I would do it. Because any top 100 player, I would trade Marcus Stroman for at this point. Because I don't really see him doing this over the course of a whole season. Win potential will be fairly limited. We saw him win his first two games, but now we have seen him go five starts in a row without a victory. That's going to be more of what it's like pitching for the Cubs. They're not going to win so many games. Strikeouts are not going to be there for him consistently, and the ratios are probably going to be okay, but that's about all you'd be getting from him. Definitely somebody I would be looking to sell, but also also somebody that I would be looking to start this week if you still have him. St. Louis and Minnesota, good couple of matchups there. Freddie Peralta, he gets the Dodgers and Kansas City. Definitely, definitely tricky there. Uh, Dodgers to start the year off or start the week off with, but Freddie Peralta has been really, really good. His last start was at Coors, 10 strikeouts, you know, two runs over six innings. Really, really good stuff there. Um, I wouldn't be too worried about starting him against the Dodgers. You do get that second outing against Kansas City, which does make it uh, a little bit more palatable for you. Charlie Morton, he gets Boston and Toronto. It's tricky, that one. I I think I would be, depending on your league size, pretty much regardless of your league size, honestly, maybe not in your, like, real shallow formats because the the matchups are not the easiest. You know, Boston, as much as we wanted to poo-poo Boston coming into the season – They've been really good offensively. They're third in runs. They're tied for second in hits, second in average. They're third in on base, fourth in slugging, fifth in home runs. Like, they've done a really good job offensively here. It's a tricky matchup for him there, and then he gets Toronto later in the week. So Morton, I think, is probably a start, but it's definitely something I'll leave up to you guys because there's tough matchups there. 
and I don't want to say one way or the other he's a must-start uh, or, or not because I think it's kind of close. But depending on your league, depending on how you're doing, if it's a Roto League, I don't know that I would necessarily want to be banking these stats the whole year. Uh, if you're talking head-to-head, less risk associated there as well. Um, but I, I, it's a really tricky one. The matchups do scare me. I think if I had to lean one way or the other, I'd probably say yes, but it's definitely a little bit scary for sure. John Gray uh, at Seattle and at Oakland. Yes, I will be starting John Gray this week in a, one of my NFBC leagues. I'm going to be starting him, lock him, locking him in for the week. Now, the lack of strikeouts has been massively concerning. Uh, you know, he had seven to start off the year against Baltimore and then four in five and two-thirds against Chicago. Since then, we've seen two, 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 and two. Abbreviated start against Houston there for sure, two innings. But then in the last three, five and a third, six and five and a third for John Gray. The strikeout rate is not something that I wanted to see. You know, something you ever want to see out of anybody, but specifically for John Gray here, that's a big part of the value that you're going to get from him. Typically, is you would expect, you know, above average kind of strikeout numbers, 25, you know, 26 kind of percent K rate. Last year, nearly 26 percent K rate. This year, it's a 14.5% K rate, and it's coupled with nearly an 11% walk rate. So it has not looked good so far for John Gray. In 15-teamers, you're, you're kind of grasping at straws for guys to start. He's still somebody that I would go with, but as the strikeouts, you probably shouldn't expect the same number that you might have thought you know, coming into the season that you'd get out of him. You might be hoping for you know best-case scenario, 8 or 10 strikeouts this week, unless he really gets right. Uh, but he's he's definitely somebody that I would be interested in starting as well. Zach Eflin, Baltimore and New York. Absolutely. Zach Eflin's been great. Uh, I'll take those two matchups. New York stinks. Baltimore, they're they're okay. You know, uh, Baltimore, I think I think they're pretty good, honestly. Offensively, though, they don't scare me so much. It's more the overall package and their bullpen really has been really good. Uh, as opposed to just the offense. They are fourth in runs, but they're 12th in hits. They're 12th in batting average, 10th in slugging. They're a better than average offense, but they're not that scary. And then the Yankees, have not, not somebody that really scares me that much either. That'll be later this weekend. So Zach Eflin, definitely somebody I'd be comfortable starting as well. Miles Michaelis at Chicago and at Boston. I think that this is kind of yeah, probably, you know, you're probably starting him in your 15-teamers. If you're talking your 10s and 12-team leagues, I don't think I would start Miles Michaelis. I don't think that he's somebody that I'd be that interested in. Overall, deeper leagues, yeah, but I think in your shallow formats, you get better options, specifically for daily changes leagues. Tony Gonsolin gets Milwaukee and San Diego. Yeah, I'll start Gonsolin here. I don't feel the greatest about it. I don't really have that much faith in him, the strikeouts. So far in the production as a whole has not been that great. But I think I will still probably take him here uh, in a two-stepper at Milwaukee and then against San Diego. I think it's a reasonable outing. Uh, now, this one in my in my head I was debating all morning, and I personally decided to not start him because I had some better options. Uh, this is in one of my 15-teamers. It's Michael Walker. And because I've sat him, again, I was talking with Vlad Sadler earlier today about this as well. Uh, he, he's going to go off now, of course, because he's been sat. But Michael Waka is it's so it's so difficult. I, I I I do still at this point, you know, we haven't set lineups fully yet for the week. I do think about starting him. But at Minnesota and at the Dodgers, I don't think that I'm able to do it. You know, I might change my mind again, but after I stop recording here, he's run so hot and cold this year. The good starts have been so good. You know, six shutout innings, ten strikeouts against Atlanta. Last time out, six shutout against Cincy. 
But then the bad ones have been, you know, really bad, like the Arizona start, the Milwaukee start. I don't think that we can really trust them here for the two-step. Uh, as much as I kind of want to, you have to check back in with me tomorrow and see if I actually ended up putting him in the lineup. But I don't really want to be starting him unless it's a desperation play for the most part. It's two starts. You know, you might volume your way into decent strikeouts, maybe get a win out of him. But the Dodgers scare me. Minnesota doesn't really scare me, but I also just don't really have that much faith in Waka. And at the same time, Minnesota, they are top of their division. It's not because of their offense. Uh, but they just I'm generally a little bit still scared uh, about starting Michael Waka there. Kyle Gibson, he gets Tampa and Pittsburgh. I think, again, we're getting into the point where these are not people that I would want to be starting. It's kind of fallback options. Gibson is not going to give you a lot of strikeouts. Overall, the performance this year from him has been pretty shaky. Uh, I think that he is more of a fallback desperation guy than somebody who's like a must-start. Uh, Anthony DiSclefani, yes, absolutely. Washington and Arizona, he's been fantastic this season. I was a big fan of him a couple of years back. Last year, he didn't really have a chance to get off the ground, only through 19 innings. But 38 innings this year, he's got three victories. He's got 30 strikeouts, uh, 2-1-3 ERA, a 0.82 whip. He's been really, really good. Uh, big fan of DiSclefani and what he's done this year. J.P. Sears. This is an interesting one as well. I was debating starting him in one of my draft champions leagues, and I think I am going to go and eventually put him in. Actually, eventually, uh, I got to go do that. <laughs> but I think I am going to start J.P. Sears. Uh, it's kind of close. It's eh, it's a little bit iffy. He gets the Yankees, and then he gets Texas. Gets the bad offense today with no Aaron Judge, and then he gets the strong Texas offense later on in the week. I think it's, I think it's iffy, but I think... F- Probably I would lean towards starting J.P. Sears. Um, Mitch Keller next up against Colorado and then at Baltimore. Yeah, you're starting Mitch Keller. He's been so good this year. Really, honestly, breaking out for the first time after so many years of thinking it was going to happen. Strikeouts have been really the big thing behind it. The whip has gone down. The ERA has gone down. He's He's already won three games in his first 40 innings. Last year, he won five games in 160 innings. Part of that is the Pirates starting hot, but still, uh, Mitch Keller, I would be starting here pretty comfortably. Brandon Fott, I've started Brandon Fott in a couple of leagues, uh, at, or excuse me, both at home uh, versus Miami and San Francisco. I think he is still somebody that you can be fairly comfortable in starting, even though it hasn't been the greatest uh, start. I mean, it started off pretty well, and then it kind of got a little bit ugly there uh, against Texas. Start off well, I mean, in terms of like the minor leagues and everything like that. The major league career, not off to a great start. Um, but I think Miami and San Francisco are good enough matchups for him where I'm still going to be starting him pretty comfortably here. That's most of the guys. Uh, you know, there's still a couple of kind of like iffy ones. And again, if you guys have questions regarding them specifically, then by all means, do send in messages. Uh, Jordan Lyles is not somebody I'd be interested in. Joey Wentz. Not really Kyle Freeland, not really Jake Irvin. The only other guys that we didn't go over that I think are pretty viable are Tanner Bybee, Louis Varland. That's that's about it, other than the guys we talked about here. Some people will consider starting Braxton Garrett. After what he did to you last week, you'd be very ballsy to start Braxton Garrett. He's probably okay. It was a really just one bad start, but it would take some brass ones uh, to put him in your lineup here. I think for the most part, you're okay leaving Braxton Garrett on the bench or waivers unless you're talking about a, a deeper league. But guys, that'll wrap it up for us here today. Appreciate all you hanging out. We got the 300 episodes last Friday. If you have missed that, I talked about Vlad Sadler a couple times on the show here today. 
He joined us as well as Ryan Bloomfield. We talked about our draft day regrets. We looked over April as a whole. We talked about fab. We talked about strategy. We took your questions from Twitter. It was a great show. Definitely go and check that one out if you haven't. We're going to continue going here as we have. If you're new to the show, we go every single day. We talk about some pickups of the day sometimes. We'll talk about my notes. We'll talk about different news that's going on. Try and give you as much info as we can uh, from the fantasy baseball world between a half an hour and an hour. Sometimes it's a little bit shorter than that if I'm really busy. Sometimes if there's nothing going on, we'll talk for an hour and a half here on the show. But, guys, really appreciate all you hanging out. You can reach me on Twitter at JoeOrico99, at EthosFantasyBB, E-T-H-O-S FantasyBB. We post all of our new podcasts, articles, all of our different updates, and everything we got going on on Twitter at EthosFantasyBB. Help us get to 1,000 followers. We're just nearly there. It's like 990 at this point. Uh, We're just inching there, but you guys can help push us over that threshold. Really appreciate all new follows, all subscribers to the podcast as well. Very much appreciated when you hit that plus button in the top corner of your Google or your Spotify or your Apple podcast, whatever it is. Really appreciate all the support you guys have given us. But until tomorrow, guys, have a great night. Successful evening for fantasy, hopefully. Set those lineups. Make sure you check them twice and make sure that everything is good if you're talking weekly lineups because... Lord knows you can make a mistake in a weekly lineup and then you're stuck there uh, for the whole week. So make sure you double check them. Make sure you enjoy your evening watching baseball, doing whatever it is you're doing. And we will see you again tomorrow, guys. Until then, take care and cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.